politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, friends, Romans, and American taxpayers who are not gang members and criminals and illegal aliens, but nonetheless, whose voice matters, at least on this program, as long as I am behind this microphone. It is Thursday, October 24th. Um, My voice is a little bit weak here. Got the early fall cold. You know, it's just crazy. It's hot in the day. You need the air conditioning in the car, and then you need the heat at night in the morning. It just uh, getting me all crazier. So I got my uh, my little tea here, which I guess is more um, at least healthier for now than uh, Dr. Pepper. But man, does that feel good? So. Our voice is making a difference. Imagine if we had another hundred shows like this one, if we had another hundred websites like Conservative Review, if we had other YouTube pages like this one, where people could actually get the truth on what matters at the very leverage points in the policy debates where we could actually influence the outcome, imagine what our country would look like. Now, what I'm referring to is before we get to the main course today, just the kind of the appetizer finishing up from yesterday, we spoke about the horrific case of James Young, <coughs> Younger, <coughs> sorry about that, James Younger in Texas whose crazy mother is forcing chemical, if not eventual physical castration upon him. And we were asking, where's the cavalry? Where are the Republicans? Where are the conservative voices? And there weren't too many. Now, it took about at least 48 hours to even get the Texas state officials on board. Now, finally, late last night, And certainly, I don't want to take the credit here. I think someone like Matt Walsh really led on this early on, a couple other people, but not too many, um, where we were all just shaming them. Hey, you know, this is Texas. This is a radical, you know, 5% most left-wing crazy issue. How come you don't even feel comfortable speaking out in a state like Texas? So thankfully, they at least said something. Now, it was kind of weak on Twitter you know, Greg Abbott took to Twitter last night and said, ah, we're we're looking into it. Um, nothing too strong, but at least something. Ted Cruz was a little stronger. This is hor- horrifying and tragic for a parent to subject such a young child to life-altering hormone blocks. He then said a seven-year-old child doesn't have the maturity to make profound decisions like this. The state of Texas should protect this child's right to choose. And indeed, uh, State Senator Matt Krause announced that he is pushing legislation. He said if there is no special session, which there should be. um, Maybe I'm being a little bit too nitpicky and let me know if you think I am, um, if I'm off base here. But again, I'm just going to reiterate the point of yesterday's show. Everyone seems to be focused on the fact that this is a child and issues of consent. I'm asking a more fundamental question. I mean, it's certainly horrific to do this to a child, but even an adult with consent, why should it be legal for a hospital or a medical practitioner to chop someone's balls off? I I, I just don't understand it. I mean, if I go up to you and say, could you kill me? You're not allowed to do that, even if I give you consent. I mean, it makes no sense. I don't understand 
what we're doing here, and this speaks to, in my view, a little lack of uh, moral clarity. Look, I appreciate that Cruz is out that much and he's way ahead of everyone else. But where is the moral clarity? Which leads me to the main course for today, which is that we don't have a Republican Senate. We don't have people in the Senate who are on the level of House Republicans who suck in every sense of the word. They are basically a bunch of left-wing progressives. So, you know, let, let me start off today's show with a tweet from Trump, you know, late yesterday that I, I know many of you saw that. And it, it, a lot of us just jumped out of our seats when we saw this. It would be really great if the people within the Trump administration, all well-meaning and good, I hope, could stop hiring never-Trumpers who are worse than the do-nothing Democrats. Nothing good will ever come from them. Well, gee, Mr. President, you are Mr. President, right? The Trump administration is run by Mr. Trump. I mean, I get it maybe in the first days and weeks of the administration is chaotic. Who's coming? Who's going? But we are well into the third year of this administration. There's something wrong. I mean, look in the mirror. It just I mean, these are the types of things that are so hard to respect from him. I mean, if you have no control, then why are you there? It's amazing how a lot of his detractors accused him and still accuse him of being a dictator. He wouldn't know how to be a dictator if he tried. That's the irony of it. The guy can't even be the chief executive officer here. Why do you have people in the West Wing that are a part of this? I mean, those assets should have been put in place long ago in the West Wing to ensure that every sphere of policy and the agencies that are responsible for them are staffed with people that share your campaign promises and your agenda. So, I mean, I can't help you. I can't be more pro-Trump administration than Trump himself is. But nonetheless, there are times Trump does want to do the right thing. And then you got Senate Republicans that are blocking him. Now, again, a lot of this is circular. It's his, his fault for supporting a lot of these rhinos in the primaries that we pointed out so often and, and not going more aggressively against them. It's like Mitt Romney is toying with the idea of voting to remove Trump from office. Trump endorsed the guy. We warned against it. We knew this is who he was and this is what he would be. Everyone knew that. There was a primary challenger and it wasn't an incumbent. You know, yeah, Romney had 100% name ID, but it's not like he was an incumbent. He wasn't entitled to that seat. There was a state senator who was running, um, but he got no traction. Got no traction whatsoever. Trump could have changed that in one, with one tweet, one endorsement. The specific thing I'm referring to today is an article. This is at NPR. Trump wants to pick Cuccinelli for DHS but worries Senate would balk. I could tell you, you know, sometimes you wonder what's true, what's false in the media. I could tell you this is true on both accounts. It's true that Trump really does want to pick Ken. It is true that, um, that ultimately it's very unlikely to happen because Trump feels he doesn't have the votes in the Senate for him. So just to begin, just real briefly, 
there's two issues Eddie at at play here there's appointing him as an acting director and then there's getting him confirmed to be the real you know or dhs secretary i mean acting secretary or dhs secretary um unless any of you disagree uh let me know but while it is true that the white house lawyers probably don't want ken and are making excuses the excuses are true that he can't be appointed acting just glide into it immediately because not just because of the Vacancies Act, but because of the Homeland Security Act is very strict on who could be acting. It's pretty much only someone from within the department um, that, you know, you know, that 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 could uh, that could step in. There's a very rigid um, structure of who secedes uh, someone who vacates the uh, position of secretary. So. It, it it really, you know, for the short term, we would be stuck with some sort of bureaucratic puke. So, again, unless some of you disagree, but I mean, from what I've seen of the statue, from people I've I've spoken to, and I, and I think, you know, even Ken's people would would tell you the same thing. There's not much of an avenue to be picked in, you know, for that position. But the real issue here is, um, OK, well, you say Republicans have control of the Senate. Why can't they expedite it and within a few weeks have Ken confirmed? It's not like the Senate's doing anything good anyway. Well, here's the article. President Trump has told Republican allies in the Senate that he would like to nominate immigration hardliner Ken Cuccinelli as his next Homeland Security Secretary, but has said he does not believe Republican Senate leaders would back the choice, according to sources familiar with the discussions. Um, basically, uh, uh, sources say immigration hardliners inside and outside the White House are fighting to keep Cuccinelli, um, uh, who Trump made his acting director of United States Citizenship and Immigration Services in the running. A Republican Senate aide told NPR that Trump has said he would name Cuccinelli if he thought Senate leadership would support his nomination. Um, so, and, and again, I can confirm that independently. That is true. And basically... Um, they just go on to say how Mitch McConnell, Shelley Moore Capital, Lamar Alexander, all these people oppose him. Um, and, you know, it's it's not just the typical rhinos. Um, it's also the, you know, you obviously have you have Alexander and Murkowski and and Collins, but it's it's McConnell and Cornyn. Now. The question everyone needs to ask is this. Can we know is solid? I mean, let's take a look. We'll put on the screen here again um, the Ken Cuccinelli graphic I made. You could see here right when he was picked how the border surge stopped because and it's not just him. There's some better picks. Mark Morgan at CBP, um, Albans at, at ICE, a better leadership. But Ken has been the most vocal advocate for our policies, fighting judicial supremacism, which unfortunately he's losing out on. That's a whole nother story. The lawless injunctions that the courts are placing on enforcing public charge laws. They're listening to it, which is which is just ridiculous. But anyway, he has been the most successful pick of the president so far, and he's done a good job at USCIS. He is the one who needs to be the DHS secretary. And there's no reason he shouldn't get confirmed. We were told the purpose of getting more Republican senators 
was to ensure that we have a stronger majority. We had 51 seats last time. Now we have 53. The sad reality is we have 10, five. Most of them are Democrats in all but name only. They would see we were told basically this Republicans. Oh, we can't pass anything because Democrats have control, even though they didn't pass anything when they controlled both houses. We're told evidently they can't even have good messaging bills to put on the floor of the Senate and make Democrats take tough votes. They don't do that. Um, they don't fight on budget bills. They give House Democrats everything they want. They don't stand up for the prerogatives of supposed Senate Republicans. So we're, we're left to the only purpose of having a Republican majority is for what? For what reason? It is all for confirmation of nominees, of judicial and executive nominees. Now we are told that we can't even get Trump's best nominees across in the Senate where Republicans have 53 seats and they abolish the filibuster for nominees. So what is the point? Well, I'll tell you where the problem is. It's a vicious cycle of getting the worst aspects of Trump and the worst aspects of the GOP establishment aggravating each other, meaning there's good intuition to Trump, which we always talk about here. But then there's the weaker side of him where he gets Jared and Ivanka in there and he gets Mick Mulvaney as his chief of staff, who is very much against Ken Cuccinelli. So he's also his own worst enemy, meaning, yes, the establishment in the swamp is the problem, but you have to first have your own ironclad White House to fight it. If you bring the swamp into the White House, we don't even have a hope of fighting the Senate. Okay. Then there's the primaries. Well, he keeps endorsing these rhinos and won't get involved. I wrote an article um, earlier this year, really, um, not earlier this year, really late last year, November 8th, 2018, the day after the Republicans lost the midterm elections. I said the time to start on 2020 primaries is today. And basically, we're going to put up on the screen here. Um, a a box chart we made of the Senate rhinos that are up for re-election. Okay. So now some of these are you're going to see since then they actually opened up. There's retirements. So, but nonetheless, there are opportunities we have to move red seats to the right. And what I did in this chart is I took the sitting senator from those states. I showed you the margin that Trump carried those states, meaning these aren't this is not a list of Senate rhinos that that's a pretty much every senator there. This is a list of Senate rhinos in states. Trump carried most of them by significant margins. And, and, and you could go down the line. Dan Sullivan. He has a 53 percent CR Liberty score. Fifty three. They all have failing grades. Fifty three. Trump carried Alaska by 15 points. Pat Roberts of Kansas. 48% Trump carried it by 21 points. Now, Pat Roberts did announce his retirement. Um, you know, we have the rhinos are really trying to get their people in there. They've destroyed or almost destroyed um, the one that we should uh, nominate there, Chris Kobach. And Trump is not fighting for Chris. The people in the White House clearly have convinced him he's too toxic. So we're going to get stuck with a clown from there, you know, if nothing changes. Then there's the big enchilada, Mitch freaking McConnell. OK, Mitch McConnell, Trump carried almost all of the 120 counties in Kentucky, 30 percent statewide. 
Mitch has a 36% Liberty score. But again, with, with Mitch, it's not just his Liberty score. It's that he's the Senate majority leader. He's obstructing so much of this. What has he gotten us? What has Mitch McConnell gotten us even when they had control of the House? Every Democrat budget bill was signed, record debt, nothing on immigration, nothing on sanctuary cities, jailbreak. I mean, Trump has supported them left and right. Bill Cassidy, Louisiana, Trump carried it by 20 points, 50%. Liberty score. Tom Tillis, he's acting conservative now. Okay, that was, you know, North Carolina is a battleground state. He carried it only by four, 38% Liberty score. James Inhofe, okay, he's the best of the bunch, but still we could do so much better from a state like Oklahoma where Trump carried every single county. Statewide, 36%, 65% Liberty score. Lindsey Graham, kissing up to Trump, but now, you know, undermining Trump on Syria, but Trump is supporting him. 32% Liberty score. Mike Rounds, big rhino, big, big rhino. Um, 28% Liberty score. This is a guy who was asking for more refugees. More refugees. Trump carried South Dakota by 30 points. Lamar. Okay, Lamar is retiring. We might have a candidate on the show who's running there, but I mean, we got to get involved. And Trump needs to endorse the right people, at least in the open seats. At least in the open seats. It is that simple. And then Shelly Moore Capito, 31% score. Trump carried that state by 42%. Every single county. And then, of course, there's this big John, John Cornyn, number two man in the Senate, total rhino. On and on, on and on. I mean, remember, the Liberty scores don't fully account for just how subversive some of these members are to the conservative agenda. Each one of the members that I just men mentioned, they fundamentally don't share our values within their respective committee jurisdictions and the issues that they oversee. They're on the other side. You know, whether it's Lamar Alexander in charge of healthcare, whether it's Lisa Murkowski in charge of energy, she's all for the global warming agenda. Um, you know, Mike Enzi is budget committee chairman. Lindsey Graham, are you kidding me? Judiciary Committee, he's open borders and he's for jailbreak, despite his election year conversion. And then you got pro-abortion, pro-amnesty, Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. Look, some of you might say, well, West Virginia is complicated. It's culturally conservative, but fiscal issues might be complicated, even if I grant you that. But then you would have a fiscal liberal, but someone who is at least pro-life. And pro, I mean, life and immigration. And in West Virginia, you can't go wrong with. Shelley Moore Capito is a leftist. She is the subcommittee chairman in charge of the appropriation subcommittee with DHS overseeing DHS funding. She has thrown the entire border fight. On and on. On and on and on. And, um, where is Trump? Then you got Alabama, which is not a rhino. It's Doug Jones is a Democrat. Easily could be knocked off. We got to get the right guy. Now, we've had um, Arnold Mooney on, the father of Blaze Media's president, Gaston Mooney. Um, I don't see someone better in that race. I haven't officially endorsed him, but 
know, because I want to fully learn everything in that race. I haven't had the time, but I, I certainly don't see someone better than him. And uh, oh, um, by the way, you know what? Speaking of which, let's run the Arnold Mooney um, television ad right here. Take a look. Our southern border is on fire. Illegal aliens swarm. Opioids flow. Americans die. Establishment politicians say they're tough on immigration, but do nothing. Who has the cojones to actually do something? I'm Arnold Mooney. Let's finally build that gum wall and cut legal immigration. Yeah, I said legal. We can put America first, or we can keep emptying out Central America. I'm Arnold Mooney, and I approve this message. There you have it, folks. We need to reduce legal immigration. So he's one of the few willing to run on that. Everyone should be running on that. So, you know, Trump should be endorsing people like that. Remember, this is not, God forbid, should Trump go against an incumbent. Whoops. Except for people like Mark Sanford and Freedom Caucus people. Not that I love everything about Mark Sanford. He's a libertarian, whatever. I'm just saying he doesn't go after the swampy guys. He goes after, like, the more maverick type of people, which is annoying. And then we got, you know, John McCain seat. Martha McSally. Not only is she a rhino, she failed, she lost a, 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 a Arizona Senate seat. So, of course, the establishment promotes her to now run for the other Senate seat and lose that too. Between this discussion, we've listed like 10 different Senate seats where we have the ability to move them to the right. Where is conservative media? Where are conservative organizations? Where's Trump's staff? Where's the president himself? See, this, this is what's indefensible. If you're going to say, look, you got to sympathize with Trump because the Senate Republicans are terrible. I agree. But then Trump needs to fix that because here's the deal. Even if Trump wins re-election, unless they change the trajectory, you're going to be left with the same crop of people where not only will Trump have the same problem where he can't pass a single good budget bill, a single good piece of legislation, he won't even be able to get normal people as DHS secretary. Even if we win back the House. And that's the story. So it's one after another. And I just don't see the president engaging on this and that's a big problem and often he just reflexively like he endorsed tom tillis i mean i have to go down the the list of who he's endorsed and and you guys could send me um notes because i I haven't kept track here but he's like tom tillis is tough on crime tom tillis was one of the guys on judiciary who who passed jailbreak he might have endorsed mike rounds too i mean these guys are horrendous. I mean, these, these are some of the guys that are literally sending letters to the White House and Secretary of State criticizing Trump for not bringing in more refugees. So it's like, I can't stop the president from having a battered wife syndrome, you know, here. If he's going to keep coming back for more abuse and then endorses these very guys, look, that's your fault. You know as well as I do. The president has a the ability to single-handedly mold the 
the direction of Republican primaries. Without his endorsement, it's almost impossible to get in a conservative. With his endorsement, we have better, better odds than not of winning. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's the story. If we had a sane movement, this is what we'd be focused on. And, and that's the lesson of this whole um, James Younger business in Texas that you know, just a modicum of conservative pressure is starting to work on some Texas officials. I tell people this all the time. I, in my perch, as well as all my colleagues in their respective perches, including ones that are much bigger than mine, must admit that they have no ability to determine the outcome of the Democrat presidential primary, nor should we care. It doesn't matter. They are all crazy. They are all de-civilization. They are all anti-American. They are all pro-criminal, pro-illegal alien, anti-family, anti-traditional American values, America's founding history, socialists, Marxists, crony capitalists, while being socialists. We know that. But what is our response to whatever they put up come next year to provide an alternative agenda to defeat them with? If I'm, if, if I'm uh, on the staff of one football team, and I could, you know, get better players, train them better. I could sit and, and yelp about the opposing team all I want, but they are who they are. You need to get your men on the field and defeat them. It's that simple. That's why I spend most of my time focusing on the Republican Party, on the so-called conservative movement, because I can only influence what's in-house. But that goes a long way, because at least half the country is Republican in some way. And if you get the, the people who represent those constituencies to do the right thing, well, you've come a long way. And then you can combat the other side more effectively. So, I mean, th this is just my frustration here. That we're at a point where we cannot even get in normal people with a 53-seat majority. That's a very big problem. But what I'm telling you is some of it is Trump's fault, A, because McConnell and Cornyn have a lot of allies within the White House. So it kind of weakens Trump's position. And then B, I mean, he's been derelict for the last number of years, more aggressively pushing them, getting involved in, Senate, in, in leadership races. You know, he did not back Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan has basically thrown his career to be Trump's rear end. I mean, let's face it, for better or for worse, whether you agree or disagree, Jordan and Meadows, they're, they're not really focused on anything we're focused on. It's all protecting Trump from scandals, period. No vision for the country, for the Freedom Caucus providing a conservative vision. It's just been, that's, that's what it's been. Some of you might say they, they need to do it, they have to protect, okay, fine. But what has Jim gotten in return? He challenged Kevin McCarthy, and officially they were neutral, but let's face it, they tacitly did support Kevin McCarthy. You can't drain the swamp by adding to the swamp. Okay, it's that simple. 
It just doesn't work that way. You cannot add to the swamp. So it's true. A lot of this is the GOP Senate's fault. But Trump has got to combat that. I challenge you. In the best case scenario, where Republicans more or less maintain the similar majority in the Senate, they win back the House, which is looking increasingly out of reach, given just the sheer number of retirements, um, even if Trump is reelected, we certainly won't be better off than we were the first two years with trifecta control, which resulted in a big, fat zero. Now, again, a lot of this was Trump's fault, also in the sense that in his first two years, when he did have a stronger hand, even though the Senate majority was thinner, he didn't. He appointed really stinky people. So now he they're all against him or now, you know, they have impeachment. So Trump needs to kiss up the Senate Republicans so they don't turn on him. But, you know, yeah. So, I mean, now he has to replace all these thinkers. But. You know, he made a terrible pick for DHS secretary. Back with Kelly, in my view, and then aggravated it with Kirsten Nielsen and then McAleenan stepped into it. Now it's all now. It's, all, it's, it's a mess. And now basically he's at a point where anyone you and I would like, he'd have a difficult time getting confirmed in a Republican Senate because, folks, the Democrats control the Senate and it's not even close. I would argue they have an 85-15 majority, and that's being quite charitable. I mean, I hate to say it, but that, that's what it is. So anyway, that's what's going on on this front. Um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of other news is really going on today that I want to I get to. But again, send me your notes on this, and don't spam me with just bogus candidates. They have to have some sort of legitimate candidacy and raising at least a modicum of cash where they could be viable. Let, let's try to work on this. I mean, I, I haven't spent enough time on it myself, but let's, let's work on this. Now let's move on. When you import the third world, folks, you get the third world. You get the third world. Yesterday, I had an, I had an article out on the confluence of jailbreak and sanctuaries. These are issues we're going to focus on relentlessly because these are issues that speak to the core of the most troubling public safety concerns in this country. They are the issues that are really the most winning political issues that are the easiest to give over to people, and Republicans are out to lunch. So it's the convergence of jailbreak, meaning the dismantling of criminal justice, open borders, sanctuary cities, gangs, drugs, homelessness, you know, people all over the streets. Let's go through some of these cases. So we already spoke about the article from yesterday. We had the guy, the Guianan illegal alien who was ordered previously deported. Um, and this guy was picked up twice by NYPD, you know, one time convicted for child sexual assault. And A, he barely served any time, was let go after a few months. B, wasn't given over to ICE. C, was re rearrested again. And then he was let out again pre-trial 
being a previously convicted child molester, picked up again on child molesting, let out pre-trial, let out. Um, Daniel, it's low level offenses. Okay, so there's that case. Let's go through some others. So I'm going to have an article out um, today. Now, th this is just a jailbreak case. This is not an illegal alien. So this is not importing the third world, but a similar idea. New York Post, and, and kudos to them for going through these stories. And by the way, we're going to have a special show tomorrow on jailbreak. Um, we're going to have a federal, uh, a, a, not a federal, a state prosecutor on from New York to discuss some of what's going on there. But the New York, New York Post has done a good job <clears throat> Um, basically demonstrating how we are going back to the pre-Giuliani era in, in New York. A convicted killer and reputed gangbanger was released without bail following a gun bust in the Bronx by a judge who critics claim owes her job to political connections the Post has learned. Shockhill Chandler, 32, served an eight-year prison term for manslaughter for a 2006 shooting in Queens before being paroled in 2014 record show. So freeze frame right there. Oh, we lock up people forever for nothing. Murder, eight years. And there's people who serve less. Um, and this wasn't like, you know, negligent manslaughter. He, he was convicted on murder, too. And really, you know, it, it was it was if you read this story, it was, it was like a gang killing. It was, it was much closer to what we would think of as murder one. Um, but eight years. Now. Like anyone else who does that, you let them go. Well, this guy is a reputed Crips gang member. He's going to go back to the criminal underworld. On October 4th, a couple weeks ago, he was busted by cops. Basically, they were responding to a scene of another gang shooting. He was right there, 2 a.m. in the morning in the Bronx, and they saw him kicking a Taurus 357 Magnum revolver under a car. So they, got, they had enough evidence that that was enough to get him on felony possession. Well, in court, the prosecutors only asked for 75,000 bail. I mean, remember, he was convicted and served time for gang murder. He's a gang member. And he's caught with a firearm. We've talked about this so many times. And um, the judge let him go for nothing and noted that, oh, he has, he has a, a child that he has full custody over. They're very concerned about the, the, the children. Anyway, this gets better and, and, and great reporting by the Post here. Johnson formally served. Uh, so, so this is the judge. I'm sorry, I forgot to even mention her name. Judge Janine Johnson, a Bronx uh, judge, is the one who let this guy go. She formally served as general counsel to then Manhattan Assemblyman Keith Wright, who, is, who has been the leader of the Manhattan Democrat Party for the last decade. In 2018, critics accused Wright of clearing the way for Johnson to successfully run for a judicial seat, with longtime Manhattan Democrat Alan Flax telling the Post, quote, there was a selection panel of one person, Keith Wright, and no one was allowed to run against her. Um, Wright also intervened on Johnson's behalf following her June 25th, 2014 arrest after cops saw her leave the corner social bar in Harlem and drive off erratically around 4 a.m. Johnson allegedly refused orders to get out of the car, invoked Wright's name, and threatened to call NYPD Brass before blowing 
0.113 on a breathalyzer well over the 0.08 threshold for a um, DUI. Wright sent the judge in that case a letter describing Johnson as an indispensable member of his staff. And she later struck a plea deal to a reduced charge of driving while ability impaired. If that doesn't embody the assault on public safety at the hands of the decrepit vermin in the elite legal profession, then frankly, I don't know what does. Someone who themselves got a judgeship through a political favor and was driving erratically drunk gets out of jail, jailbreaks themselves, use their political connections to then eventually become a judge and then let out gangbanging murderers who are caught with felony possession of a firearm. And these are the same people that are demanding gun control on you and me that we, so that we can't protect ourselves from the crime wave that they foment in all of our communities by letting these guys go. Take the guns out of the law-abiding uh, citizens' hands and put them in the hands of the criminal and then not, don't lock them up. And the fact that we don't have Republicans every day shouting about this, hitting the Democrats, jujitsuing them on gun violence. USOBs are the ones who want to keep guns on the streets in the hands of criminals while denuding law-abiding citizens the right to protect themselves. There's no reason why every day the Senate Republicans led by Mitch McConnell shouldn't be forcing Democrats to take votes on toughening sentencing for felons, convicted felons who are caught possessing firearms, more mandatories, creating more efficient laws to get federal prosecutors involved to scoop these cases up where the local you know, politics of New York and Chicago and L.A. just let these guys go. But this isn't an aberration. This is happening every day. The worst gun felons, gang felons, are just let go. No one is locked up. And then you got the homeless problem and it mixes in because a lot of them are, are part of that problem. I, I could go on and on trying to prioritize here. Let's go through another case. Oregon man accused of 18 child sex crimes on the loose after cutting off ankle monitor. It never works. Never works. It's a joke, this parole business. Listen to this. <clears throat> this is from NBC. Yesterday, an Oregon man, now we'll discuss who this Oregon man is, accused of 18 child sex crimes, is on the loose after cutting off his ankle monitor while out on bail. Josiah Rosales, 29, was arrested in July on multiple sex crimes against children, including rape, sodomy, luring a minor, and encouraging child sex abuse the Washington County Sheriff's Office um, in Oregon said. Rosales of, uh, of Aloha, Oregon, 10 miles west of Portland, posted 10% of his 1.25 million bail in September and was released with a GPS tracking ankle monitor along with other bail conditions. Okay, so he was a, a guy like this should, should be held without bond, but he was released just paying a little bit more than $100,000. 
On Tuesday, detectives learned that Rosales had cut off his monitor and now basically is at large. Now, I know many of you are wondering, is he here illegally? Very likely, I'm trying to find that out. But either way, he's likely someone that at some point we imported. And, and there's, there's endless stuff. I mean, I have a case in Alabama we just had. I, I put it out on Twitter. Some of you might have seen yesterday. A 19-year-old molesting a 12-year-old. This guy is an illegal alien from Guatemala who was resettled as a UAC. There's another one of those cases. I didn't have time to write an article on it. But it's on and on and on. Where is the consistency of messaging on the part of conservative media, conservative think tank people, elected Republicans, the Trump administration? We don't. We have one-offs where Trump will do something good here, someone in the administration will do something good there, but it's, it, it just there's no continuity and there's no consistency. No continuity of narrative. And then, of course, we have my article out today on, on my latest installment of Little Mogadishu in Somalia, where we're importing both sides of Middle East gang wars. Um, an amazing quote from, uh, there was a recent murder, gang murder in uh, Minneapolis. The Star Tri Tribune uh, reported that prosecutors have charged a teenager in the shooting death of a 25-year-old Mustafa Ali last week in the latest sign that an ongoing conflict between rival East African gangs is spilling into North Minneapolis. As I note in the article, we brought in roughly 130,000 Somalis since 1993. Um, 130,000. Man, think about that for a moment. Gosh. 30,000 initially settled in Minneapolis, but now their population is close to 74,000. Talk about social transformation without representation. They've been one of the most problematic groups. Now, obviously, there's a lot of terrorist problems, but in addition, there's general crime and gang problems. The Minnesota Public Radio article in 2009 reported that, quote, young Somali men escape homeland, but not violence. Somali gangs are beginning to divide themselves across the same clan lines that destroyed their homeland. There's been a 60% increase in violent crime in the Cedar Riverside, aka Little Mogadishu neighborhood, since uh, 2010. Um, a rivalry between different gangs is causing it. There's been a 53.8% increase in robberies since last year. And, and of course, Minnesota is full of jailbreak too. So it's a we're importing all the criminals of the world and the worst gang violence in addition to our inherent criminal problems in this country. And then on top of that, we have criminal justice deform where everyone is let go immediately. No one serves pre-trial uh, time in, in 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 you know uh, they're let out on bond and then once they are sentenced they plead down because it's impossible to land a conviction anymore because of all the judicial loopholes that have been created by the unelected courts notice everything is the bureaucrats the courts the courts the courts we don't have a say in the future of our country and we don't have a republican party giving voice to us on these issues man i could i mean i know a lot of you have sent me some of these cases i've gotten from you 
um, and, and keep sending them to me, but I don't even, man, I haven't even scraped the surface of what I wanted to get to. So many of these cases will have to leave till tomorrow. Again, we're going to have a special prosecutor um, who is being challenged by a Soros public defender type. Flush with a lot of cash. So you're definitely going to want to hear tomorrow's show. Um, let me know your comments. But look, we need 100 shows like this. But in lieu of that, I need you to send this show to 100 of your friends and relatives. If you don't have any friends, well, you know, go get them because <laughs> I need them. I need more people to spread the truth, to pressure your members, um, you know, on crime, your local, you got to get involved in your local DA races, sheriff's races. You got to see where they stand. You got to hold your state legislators accountable. There's a lot you can do on the crime level because that's very much local. Um, it's getting bad and it's going to get worse but we are going to chronicle it here. But let me just say, if we cannot affirm as a people that it is a criminal act to lop off someone's you-know-what, then we're not exactly a civilization worth defending from crime or open borders anyway. So all of those issues are important. All of them will be our focus in the coming days and weeks. Um, send me what you want me to focus on. I, again, my attention is very divided. There's a lot of issues I have missed as well. Um, either I can cover them in, in an article or on this show. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and spread the truth. <laughs>